Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A's. It's Thursday morning, so hopefully everybody had enough time to get their questions in, but let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Patreon, Lily Larceny has a pretty interesting question. They're remodeling a room and designing it around a two-TV co-op gaming setup with potentially two Xbox Series or PS5s. They love split-screen uh, split and couch co-op, but most modern games don't have support for it. They don't plan to do games with players online, just the two side-by-side -side in the room, and potentially two different single-player games side-by-side -side so you can hang out with your friends and each play a game. Got it. Uh, the big issue they're facing is sound, as they'd like to avoid headphones so the atmosphere of the local split screen is captured and you don't feel like you're just playing online. But they're thinking about how difficult it would be to mix the two audio signals into the same stereo some way and play them at the same time, then remove the unnecessary audio per game on the second console, like turning the music volume all the way down, etc. They know in live and stage audio, where everything's mono, you could just use a mixer to blend the channels. Is there such thing as a surround sound mixer? That can mix surround from two sources to be a single surround output. They do own multiple home theater receivers, so they suppose they could just double their speaker count. Lag is also a concern. So I have a few thoughts about that. So lag as far as adding gaming latency won't be an issue, but lag as far as audio delay, so you start hearing things from the player next to you, a second or half a second behind would definitely be a delay. So the first question I would have to ask is, does it need to be two surround sound setups? Could it be a scenario in which it's maybe one surround sound, but both could be also used in stereo mode? That way, if you're only playing one setup at a time, you could just flip on your surround. And if not, you know, you could just have two players stereo side by side. If that's the case, you could just have two speakers aimed directly at you, kind of angled inwards towards your head. So each speaker is pointing at about where the player's ears would be. That would definitely reduce the amount of, of audio ghosting, delay, echoing, whatever you want to call it. That would probably be a good idea. If you wanted surround sound, but you're not talking about like a huge home theater booming surround sound, you can get those little Logitech cube speakers and just put two up front and maybe put two below you aiming up and then one like right above the monitor as the center channel. So it's not going to be full surround, but if all of the sound is aiming at you, it would be the same thing. But if you're talking about you know, imagining a standard living room surround sound setup, except instead of one TV, there's two. I don't know. That's a really hard one. I don't know if you'd be able to pull that off. I completely agree of with your thought of why or not using headphones, because then it's just going to feel like you're playing online. You know, you don't get as much of a feeling as playing in a room with people. So that's that's kind of a tough one. Um, anybody else have any thoughts on this one? That's a really cool idea. It would be different if you were saying two two TVs that face each other, like a versus city cab. But in that scenario, um, I mean, I guess in that scenario, it really wouldn't matter because the speakers are aiming away from you. But yeah, I don't know. That's a really hard one. I think I would just start with, do you need surround sound on each? Uh, and if not, then maybe just do two stereo setups. I found, oh, thanks to Matt from Insurrection Industries, I found a really nice amp for about 100 I think it was $96 after tax or something. And it was surprisingly good for the money. I always got to say that with audio. You know, when you talk about two-channel amps, it doesn't hold a candle to that NAD amp that's $500, five times the price. But for two speakers in a scenario like this, it really impressed me, like very much. I believe uh, Ash Evans even was talking with me about the chips that were used in those and how those are pretty good as well. 
So getting two of those and two really good just bookshelf speakers on each side. And when I say really good, in context, right? So getting two bookshelf speakers or like circular speakers, mounting them, aiming at you and using this $100 amp, you could probably do that for 400 bucks total for both systems. That would that would sound great. So I don't know. Um, maybe think about this a little more. Give me some more clues and we could try to figure this out because that's a very cool idea. I think I just need to, to bounce that idea around my noggin for a little while longer before I come up with something any, any better than that. Next up, Jeff L. is curious about the Wii's ability to output RGBS over SCART. They found a Reddit post, oh boy, here we go, <laughs> that seems to indicate that any region changer software on a modded Wii can be used to get RGBS output, but the poster neglected to include details. They're concerned about making a mistake that breaks video output such that their Wii is effectively bricked. They're curious if myself or a member of the audience has advice for how to experiment with changing video output without turning the Wii into a paperweight. So first and foremost, you probably are better off not doing this at all. I experimented so much with this when I first started Retro RGB, and there was no gain at all over component, over simplicity of use. However, a very easy way to do this without changing the region, but still allowing you to mess with this, is to get a Wii SCART cable and then use like USB launcher even to launch an original game. And I believe you could, I'm 99.9% .9 sure I was able to launch the games that way. And the menus are in black and white, uh, you know, not the game menus, like getting into USB launcher. The video was definitely weird with that when you're using an RGB SCART cable. Uh, but once you get in there and once you launch the game, then it is totally normal. So um, the other thing you could do is change the region from NTSC to PAL using any region changer. But I think the way more important question is why do you feel that you need SCART? Is it simplicity in a setup? Do you have seven other consoles that are all RGBS and you don't want to deal with routing in component video? Because if that's the case, there's other ways around that one. Um, or is it just for experimenting because you're like me and you just want to tinker with absolutely everything? I think those are the questions that really need to be answered uh, before you go any farther with it, other than launching through the USB launcher to force different modes and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I would just be very wary of Reddit posts because even those Reddit communities that are very good very often are just filled with bad information. So, um, you know, I'm sorry for my little tease at the beginning of the answer here, but I, I've just I've seen some ridiculous stuff come out of Reddit and Facebook, to be honest with you. Way worse than forums. I don't know why. But uh, so, yeah, I would just be careful with where you get the info from. But try USB loader. Uh, see if you could launch it through the SCART cable for that now and go from there. And if you want, just follow up next week and we'll figure out why you need RGB SCART because maybe I could come up with a better solution for you that's kind of uh, easier on the whole workflow of your Wii system. Next up are a couple of questions from Juna. Is that how you pronounce your name? I apologize if I got that wrong. Uh, please just let me know. First up, how does a one-in multiple out HDMI splitter work? And have I ever measure measured the lag of these things? So if they're just splitters that don't say, you know, process your old PC to 1080p or something like that, then the latency is zero milliseconds. So don't have to worry about it at all. Um, they, I think there was the one I tested downscaled 4K to 1080p, but that would be for streaming use. You wouldn't really want to use that for gaming. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was zero lag as well. How do they work is just simply by using a distribution amplifier to take that signal in and then do the HDMI handshake and then spit it out to the other devices. 
each of which have their own HDMI handshake, which is a giant pain. That's why if you plug something like a Mr. or a console that supports multiple resolutions directly into your TV, when it switches resolutions, you'll get a quick dropout. But through these, you get a longer dropout because it's going to resync with your TV, your capture card, your second TV, whatever. Um, to continue, though, they thought it would just spit the same bits at multiple different outputs, one of them acting as the main target. Uh, and on closer inspection, their Mac doesn't report either of their displays as a connected device. Instead, there's some unknown name listed as their monitor. Right. So your PC sees that main splitter or distribution amp or, or matrix switch or whatever. That is the device your PC would see. And then that device sees the other one. I'm not sure if there are more expensive ones that could pass everything through, but they would be very expensive. And I'm also not quite sure why you would need that. I think for a PC setup, you would just want a video card with multiple outputs to go to multiple different displays. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. Now, there is no latency, though, just to be very clear about this. There is a delay, like I just talked about. So like... Um, the best example, right? If you are holding your time sleuth up to a monitor and you plugged it directly in and it says four milliseconds and then you plug it through this distribution amp switch and you switch resolutions, there's going to be a delay for how long it takes for the monitor to come up and then maybe a second or two before it resyncs and then you get the same reading of three or four milliseconds. So it might be one of those things where the delay is longer. When the monitor first comes up, you see it like, you know, 200 milliseconds, and then one or two seconds later, once everything's settled, it goes back to nothing. So that is, that's definitely something that you might want to keep in mind. Um, if you see somebody complaining in Amazon comments about lag, it could be that they're talking about the delay it could be that they're they're using one of the ones that says convert your PC to 1080p and it does add a ton of latency, but it's more likely somebody who's losing at their game and they're blaming the splitter. I've seen that a lot. I've seen that a lot, not only online, but in person, where I've then walked over, plugged the time sleuth in and it said zero and they were like, well, something else must be wrong. So I don't know. And finally, how do these things get rid of HDCP encryption? So my guess, this is just speculation, but I think it's actually quite hard to comply with HDCP. I think you need more expensive and more chips to copy the copy protection from your target device onto that splitter device. And I think when you just take the H the encryption keys, put them on a chip and stick them on the input of that HDMI device, I think that's way cheaper. And I think companies just do that until they get caught and then they, you know, release a different version or something like that. But, um, and I'm not going to rant about this, I promise, but HDCP is total bullshit. It has always been and in fact, it has never actually stopped piracy ever. The only thing it has ever done is caused issues with people who legally pay for their stuff. When I very first got, uh, got a, uh, a cable box with, a, uh, I think it was an HDMI or DVI output, I couldn't remember which, I thought, saw, I thought, oh, perfect, I have an extra PC monitor, let me use that. It's the same resolution, you know, it's, it was 720p or something, and I'll just put some speakers up next to it, and it'll be a cool little bedroom TV. And I plugged it in, and it said, doesn't support HDCP. So I bought a little HDCP stripper and plugged that in. Like, it was just, it has never deterred people. It just cost people more money. And oh boy, back, I remember being uh, being around at those trade shows when they were really pushing for that to be mandatory. And there were a bunch of people who just invested like 
thousand. Some like high end projectors were, were like twenty five thousand dollars, and now they're finding out that six months later they're obsolete because of bullshit HDCP. So what do you think all those people did? Do you think they sold their projectors for a huge loss? They bought the little stripper. So yeah, it's a uh, HDCP is a scam. It is useless, and I hope. I hope that everybody just eventually throws their arms up in the air and says, we're not going to support it. So we're either going to switch to DisplayPort or you stop this crap because this is not the way that you deal with encryption. I really hope because you would, um, those HDMI sync stuff, you would have so much less delay between them without having to deal with a lot of these things. And it's all just crap. So if you disagree with me, please let me know. But I've not yet heard one single argument for HDCP ever. I would really be interested in hearing somebody who has one because maybe I'm missing something. But yeah, anyway, to summarize, uh, your splitter is almost certainly not going to add any latency and you're always going to see it as one device on your PC. And uh, if you're lucky, you picked one up that doesn't have HDCP encryption. Demon Koo wanted to chime in on the conversation from last week about how to route things in a pretty complicated setup so that you could use a Tank 5X or 4K for downscaling as well. And they came to the same conclusion an HDMI matrix switch is definitely the right course to reduce down on the number of devices needed. But now if there was only one that wasn't a $500 price jump from a 4x4 to an 8x4. Now, they did add that they found a 4x4 HDMI matrix for 20 bucks that was only HDMI 1.4. And I can't remember if I said this last week, but that's a very important point. What is the highest specs needed for this? So for me personally, when I'm running things through my setup, I always have 4K60 devices as well as everything below that. But if you didn't, or if you're using two switches, if you the max that you really needed was 1080p60, then you could absolutely find a used HDMI 1.4 matrix switch, including one from Extron for fairly cheap. Uh, and the Extron ones are rack mountable too, if you have everything in a rack. So yeah, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that that was the answer for you. And I'm also glad you found one cheap because I like it when I could save people money. That makes me genuinely happy. So thank you for sharing the tip. And I hope anybody else that needs an HDMI matrix can just take a, a, a hard look at what the specs that you need are. Because if you can get, if you can get away with an HDMI 1.4, you save a lot of money. Next, Stephen Faust said they've been enjoying using the Mr. Bundle that Ivory from Retro Castle sells. Yeah, that is my favorite. Um, they're primarily running it into an LG CX. Since I have a similar OLED, what resolution or scaling setting do I use with my Mr.? So always 1080p 5X. Absolutely always. The only scenario are some arcade games that you really do miss something when you have the overscan. That 1080p 5X video I did, um, I... The only thing I would change about that video is I would include, I would have included a lot more footage of consumer CRTs and arcade monitors. Um, I would love to have gone to a barcade and just showed you that even arcade machines and arcade boards, they will cut off the top and bottom a little bit. Now that's obviously up to the arcade operator, but that was super common. And the CRT that I used in that video did have some cutoff, but it had like the least amount of most consumer CRTs. Most cut off quite a bit. And I've seen some even cut off more than running it in 1080p 5x mode. So uh, just a very quick summary, I'll leave a link to the video, but when you scale past the 1080p mark, you lose information on the top and bottom, 
but it's the same information you probably would have lost using the CRT anyway. However, by zooming in, you also fill more of the horizontal space on your TV. So no black bars at all on the top and the bottom and less black bars on the side without messing with the aspect ratio. You're not going to be Ian from Historical Nerd and stretch things wide to 16 by 9. It's the same aspect ratio. It just makes more use of your screen. So I strongly recommend setting it to that. I'll leave a link to the post about how to do it with your mister. It is just like everything else in the mister. It's not intuitive. It makes no sense why you would do it this way. I I, I hate to throw shade. I love the mister project so much, but why there's no GUI for the, the menu and resolution settings after all these years is just mind blowing to me. So you got to mess, you have to set up the mister I and I file correctly. And then in each core, you have to set the overscan, but then it would work fine. So I'll leave a link to both of those posts. Um, and I, that and the only other thing I would add is uh, trying for some games to enable BFI, unless it's like a sunny day or something. But as long as the room isn't super bright, that setting with BFI on, you get smooth motion, you get crispy graphics. It looks really great. Um, you could mess with scan lines at all, but my preference is definitely the Tink 4K and the Tink 5X scan lines over it. So if you're a crazy person like me, you'll probably eventually run your mister through a Tink uh, 4K into the CX OLED, and that way you can kind of get the best of all worlds. You run the Tink in 4K 60, and then you turn on BFI on your OLED, and now you essentially have a giant, slightly dim CRT. So uh, it's, I'm oversimplifying there, but... But what you have right now, you don't need to upgrade anything. It's awesome. Just plug it right in, set it to 5X mode, and go from there, and I think you're going to love it. And if not, it's all preference-based. So if you tell me you hate the cutoff and you think I'm silly for liking that, that's actually also completely fair. You just asked what my suggestion was, so uh, I'm just sharing it. Next up, Weaslow said they're having all sorts of audio issues with the SNES core on their mister, and they're looking for any tips and tricks. They have an analog I.O. board, and when they use Toslink, they get no sound, but when they use HDMI, their sound is faint. They tried updating the core, checking cables, etc. It's the only core that has the issue. Um, so, excellent troubleshooting steps beforehand. Good nerding. Um, so, if you had just said your mister wasn't outputting correctly. I would say there might be something wrong with your IO board. You might've had to flip a switch on your DE10. But if you're saying you load up the Genesis core and optical audio works perfect into your stereo, but then you load up the SNES core and it doesn't, that could just be the frequency of the SNES core. So you could try opening your Mr. I and I file, because once again, there isn't a very easy GUI. It's not hard to make to access this. You have to open up your Mr. I and I file, and you could change your audio settings to 96K or maybe 44 or 48K, but check the different audio settings. Whatever you have, try the other ones and see if that makes a difference. If not, let me know and we could keep testing. But I think that should definitely be your first step because it's easy, it's free, <laughs> it's not going to take much time at all. So try that and then either DM me or follow up next week and we'll see if we could keep troubleshooting. But my gut's telling me that's a great place to at least start us out. Couple of questions from Rent Optional. First, they've owned a Mega SG and a Mega EverDrive Pro for years, but they finally decided to sell their Mega SG and use that money to have their original childhood Genesis, a VA7 Model 1, modified with a triple bypass and recapped. For those that don't know, the VA7 was basically a Model 2 motherboard inside a Model 1 Genesis shell. 
They get the console back from their usual modder, who always does a great job, but unfortunately, even with the mod, a Triad PSU, HD retrovision cables, and the Tink 5X low-pass low filter set on high, there are still faint jail bars present. Granted, they don't really notice them at normal viewing distance or with scan lines on or when actually playing a game, but they're still present. With some Googling, other people that have said even with a triple bypass mod, it doesn't get rid of jail bars on all systems. They're curious how this is still possible, given their limited understanding of how the mod works. Curious to hear the actual reason. So, um, I'm the, the most likely answer is that there is more problems with the Genesis motherboard than just processing the signal. Now, when I say problems, if you take into consideration the TVs that were used when the Genesis was released, um, the cables that most people were using to do so, almost everybody was using RF. And if you were the one of the few people that thought to plug in composite, I'm happy for you. But most people were using RF. So why would, have, why would Sega have spent so much more money in R&D fixing little problems that pretty much didn't exist on those setups. The problem is when you start to use modern setups, like a flat panel with a scaler, or if you could score a BVM and calibrate it, you notice things that could not have been seen back then. And what you're noticing is a multitude of things. So the video bypass on the Model 1 Genesis part, that is never going to be perfect. And in fact, if you didn't have a VA7 and you said, it's my childhood Genesis, I want to improve the audio and video, what I actually most likely would have suggested is a full recap, because that's always good for preservation anyway, and then using that subcarrier bypass that Tian Fong came up with, uh, we wrote about that last year or this year at some point, because you retain composite video, but it greatly improves RGB but there's still a bunch of jail bars there. When you do a full video bypass, it's the same theory. You're moving the red, green, and blue and sync signals away from the motherboard to try to reduce any interference that was picked up as it traveled through the motherboard going into the video encoder. You're also using a different video encoder to move that away from everything as well. So the reason that the jail bars are still there is because getting the interference off of the board isn't the only problem. There's also RAM noise. Um, that's where the capacitor, I think Voltar came up with adding a capacitor to two of the pins on the VDP. That reduces the RAM noise by kind of buffering that up. But there's a few other things in there as well. So it's never going to be perfect. However, I my just opinion, but my strong opinion is that you did the right thing because you had the VA7 Model 1, which performance-wise performs, you know, it's you're not going to get any worse performance. It's just the audio and video quality are a step down, especially the audio quality. So using the triple bypass, yeah, you're going to get a boost in video quality, not a huge boost, but a boost. But you're going to replace that entire low-quality audio circuit with a really nice one that's MD4A approved. And depending on how your modder chose to do it, you probably have a Genesis 2 mini DIN in back where the RF jack used to be, meaning you don't have to fumble with cables in front and back. And if you wanted to wire it up with a headphone jack, you could even still retain that as well. So my opinion is that you did absolutely the right thing for your VA7. Yes, you lost composite video, but you gained audio that actually sounds great instead of audio that's one of the worst of all the Genesis consoles. So I just think you have to be realistic with all Model 1 consoles that you're going to have interference in them. Um, believe it or not, the Genesis 3s 
look and sound amazing with a triple bypass. So if you ever wanted something like that, cool. Or you could get an FPGA-based system if you really wanted crystal clear and you didn't want to mess with anything else. But yeah, I just wanted to give you a good explanation as to what that was all about. Um, Because even if you don't, I mean this with respect, but even if you don't still quite uh, get the whole concepts around it, at least you know your modder probably did a good job, and I strongly think that you did the right thing with this model. Uh, Next question, though, totally separate. They tested the Humble Bazooka Blue Retro Adapter for PC Engine on their TurboGrafx-16 with that RetroFrog controller pin adapter, and it worked great. They figured they'd let me know since this isn't documented anywhere, and it appears the TG-16 Blue Retro adapters are out of stock, while the PC Engine ones are still available. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the heads up on that. I'll let Todd know as well, um, because that's good info to have. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that Todd's tiny, tiny dongle worked for you. Next up, Cesar Montez is looking to take one of those Nitro DS capture devices and connect it to a PC monitor. The highest quality signal out of that is S-Video without modding it, which you probably shouldn't mod something so rare and awesome. So how would you do that? Um, Well, it's actually super easy. It's the exact same thing as I showed in that uh, classic consoles on VGA monitor video I did a while back. Definitely watch that video for a full... Uh, a, a full understanding of how you could do it with zero latency and what the very few, if any, shortcomings might be. But the easiest answer is to get any original RetroTINK 2X, the 2X Pro, the very first 2X, whatever, and then just simply use a cheap HDMI to VGA cable or converter. Um, I'll leave a link to the one Kuro told me about. I have it sitting here, but I haven't tested it yet. Uh, Kuro was the person that did that deep dive a few weeks ago for the different DACs. And that's it. That's all you need to do. Um, It's going to be zero latency. If your PC monitor is um, bright enough, you could turn on scan lines and have it look just like an original console. Except if you're talking about the DS, you might not want 240p like SNES style scan lines. You might like the way it just looks on a VGA monitor. So I would try both. But that is a very, very easy answer to that one, luckily. I like the uh, I like the easy answers as much as the complicated ones. At least with the easy answers, I'm able to give you the solution, whereas the complicated questions, I'm like, hmm. But yeah, so that's it. Um, I'll leave a link to the video if you want more information out of it. Uh, and you could use a FrameMeister if you already own it. You would just need to use the same digital-to-analog converter and set the FrameMeister to 480p. But I'll leave a link to the video. Um, any Anything that takes in S-Video and spits out HDMI with no lag is the answer. Um, the FrameMeister doesn't add much lag, so if you already own it, just use it. And if you don't already own one, don't buy it. Just get an old Tink or something like that. Next up, Brian Greenslate wants to know if I know of any way to add more games to an IQ Player 64. So the IQ was essentially a miniaturized N64 in a controller. It was basically a system on a chip that Nintendo designed with another manufacturer for the Chinese market because at the time they had still banned home video game sales. And I think when I looked it up, they sold less than 20,000 units total or something could be wrong about that, but Nintendo's used to selling 20 million units, so it was a big fail, but I'm pretty sure the games that were added to that were ported over because it's not a one-to-one recreation of the original N64. I could be wrong about that, but if that's true, you probably wouldn't be able to add more games to it, although it's, 
a pretty awesome piece of hardware to own. So if you ended up getting one of those, you know, cool score, especially because of how rare it is. But I think you might have to just use that as is. But if I might be wrong about this, I would just check into uh, other N64 communities who would be into this stuff and maybe check like the bit build forums or something because uh, they do a lot of miniaturization of consoles and to uh, make them handheld and add a screen to them. And I imagine they would have looked into the IQ player to see what tricks they used and to see if they could do anything similar. Although probably not because it was a custom chipset. But I think those might be your group of people to start with. But I would have low expectations for this. I don't think it's going to be easy to port games over. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I would like to be wrong. But uh, I just want to set realistic expectations for you. Next up, Al Anonymous wants some information on the newest firmware update for the OSSC, what mod is required to make it work, uh, and what kind of stuff does it do. So I plan on doing a whole post about this. I already started the post, but I wanted to do some more testing. Uh, so maybe I will just kind of do a test run here and let my, my fellow nerds who listen to this give me your feedback and see if I did this okay. But the OSSC is about to have a new firmware released that you may or may not need the features, but it's going to require a mod to do. So the features are, it could do uh, pixel repetition 1440p output. So if you're currently going to a 1080p monitor or a 4K monitor, you don't need this really. However, if you're using a native 1440p monitor, this could be a pretty cool addition, especially if it's 1440p 60, you could run it at its lowest latency mode now. Um, and it also is getting some shadow mask emulation, so some more true CRT emulation, not just scan lines across the screen, which is neat. I haven't been able to test them yet, so I'm not sure how good they are. Maybe they're amazing. Maybe they're just a step up from before. I have no clue yet. And it also is going to increase some compatibility on the input side. So to be clear, if you have a retro PC or an arcade board that was getting you dropouts or barely syncing at all, that might work after this firmware update. However, if you're doing something like your SNES and your TV works in 1080p 4x but not 5x, this isn't going to fix that, most likely. So what's required for this is what needs some discussion. So I wanted to start with the features first because if you're like, that doesn't apply to me, then you don't have to worry about any of this. However, uh, you either need to buy the latest version of the OSSC that's going to be released later this month or do a mod to your existing OSSC. If you're a good modder, I would call this easy. I broke mine yesterday. So let me walk you through what you need. Um, all you really need to do is take a piece of thin wire like Kynar or something, strip the end, tin it, tin one pin on the end of the FPGA, and then uh, use some flux, tack it down, and then put something on the board to hold the wire down. Some non-conductive tape, a dab of hot glue, not on the solder joint, just to hold the wire down so it doesn't flop around and put tension on it because it's a very thin wire going to a much thinner pin. But that's doable. Not for beginners, but that's doable for intermediate and up. Now, here's the mistake I made. You also need to run that wire around and remove a surface mount resistor and solder to just one of the pads on that resistor. So if you're very careful and you cut your wire exactly to the correct length that you need with no slack popping up, you know, and you do the same thing, you strip and tin the ends, you add some solder to that pad. I would even tape that wire down first 
before you even solder it. Once again, not taping the solder joints, taping it to hold it in place so that it's lying over the correct pad. And then I would just use some tweezers to hold it down and then tack that down to finish it. That should be fine. What I ended up doing was doing the surface mount resistor first, ran the wire around, and then as I ran the wire around, it twisted the pad off, which is crazy because I, I thought I did everything right, but that's how small the pads are for the surface mount resistor, and that's how fragile it is, which it's not an insult to the OSSC. Surface mount stuff that small is meant to be added once and never again. You're not supposed to be pulling these things on and off. So I want to make, make it very clear that while Marcus has given us not only a free firmware update again, which he could always have charged for these, and he never did. He never software locked anybody. It's just, and this is years and years of support. So thank you, Marcus. But not only did he give us that, he gave us the ability to add this functionality for free to our existing open source scan converters if you need this extra stuff. So I just think this is all positive. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's like, that's bullshit. I got to mod my OSSC to get the firmware. Your OSSC is still working perfectly and you might not even need the new features. However, if you wanted to, you could do it. Just be very, very careful. If you're a beginner, practice on a lot of other things before doing it. Uh, double check with better modders to see if the method that I just suggested is best. I kind of think it is because it allows you to run everything around in a way where you never put tension on the pads or the pins. Maybe you even cut the wires to size and tape them down first on both ends. Either way, be overly cautious with this and kind of go from there. Uh, so, Al, hopefully I did you right and answered your question properly. If you have any other, clear, if you need any clarification on this or if you think I may have uh, explained it wrong, please let me know so I can get it right before the post. Also, one other thing, since we're talking about this, I'll add this in the post as well. Supposedly, the OSSC Pro is coming out this year as well. The only reason it was delayed was because of the part shortage, of course, but that gives us some really cool price points now. The minimum price point is around 100 bucks, just over, because as much as we want some of those cheaper plug-and-play cables to work, it's not going to. You'd really have to, unless you're willing to mod your own GBS control, you could probably get those for less than 50. But then you're using compo uh, component video or VGA or SCART to get into that. Um, so you have that do-it-yourself tier. And then your next tier, if you need scalers, you got the Tink 2X Pro, and you have the original OSSC. The OSSC goes to higher resolutions, but you require a SCART component or VGA input, whereas the Tink 2X could take component S-Video and composite. So great. We have the do-it-yourself cheap solution. We have the entry-level solution for people that just want to get their signal out. Both are awesome zero-lag devices. Then you step into the mid-range with the RetroTINK 5X. Funny to call that mid-range because that was top tier for a while, but that'll get you obviously comp uh, composite, S-Video, component, and SCART, and VGA if you get the HD15 to SCART adapter on it. And then you have the OSSC Pro, which is going to be priced very similar to the Tink 5X, but you're only getting SCART uh, component and VGA. You're not going to be getting composite and S-Video inputs. So if you don't have any composite or S-Video consoles you're looking to scale, maybe this is a better choice. You're going to have to take a look at all of the features of both to decide, but now you have two mid to upper mid range, range options that are absolutely awesome. And I'll give some more info on the Pro uh, coming up, but it's basically a slightly more powerful DeX. So it can do true 1440p. It could do BFI at 1080p, uh, 1080p 120, and the compatibility is way higher than the OSSE for even things like SNES 5X in zero lag mode. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to digging into that. And then, of course, you have the higher end of the scalers that are not going to be for everybody, but you got the Tink 4K and you got those two other ones that were been talked about but never seen yet. So I guess we'll just wait to speculate on those. But I love that we have a large area of uh, of price point covered so people who want to step into this and start gaming can do so at basically either any budget or just having some patience the gbs controlled you know you have to mod it you have to get the right cables but that's great for cheap stuff and then for just plug and play a lot of amazing options anybody who's been in this scene long time like especially around the frame meister time period where that was the only choice I mean, that, the Frame Meister was amazing for its time, but there were no other choices, and you had to just spend a ton of money. So, so very cool that we get all these options now. Well, that's it for this time. If you're new to these Q&As, ask any question you'd like wherever it is that you support, but please put the question in the latest Q&A post. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post, but as you saw here today, I also just like scrolling through and talking as if we were hanging out somewhere, just having a laid-back conversation. The questions were all on Patreon this time, but that's just because there's more supporters there than the other places. Any place that you support, feel free to ask a question, and if for whatever reason I don't get to it, it's almost truly because the question came in after I stopped recording, but before it actually got uploaded. So if that's the case, just DM me or re-ask it. But either way, thank you to everybody who supports, and especially thank you to everybody who participates and hangs out and just has fun with this, because y'all just make this job even more fun than it already was. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.